Um, I read a chapter of the Bible every morning, and this morning's chapter just happened to be James second, uh, James uh, chapter two, which was, "Don't seek to be teachers because they'll be judged most harshly." harshly. <laughs> I would hope that is not an invitation, but. Uh, so my name is Chris Christensen. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I don't, I'm not teaching a Bible study at Bethel right now, but I still do teach two Bible studies a week. One is online on the Internet that you would be welcome to join. The other one I would prefer, especially those of you who might be junior high or high school boys, not join because I teach a uh, Bible study in juvenile hall in a lockdown unit for violent youth offenders. So I know more murderers and gangbangers than I used to know. But we'll talk about that a little later. So as I looked at the lessons this morning, I was struck by the similarity between the Old Testament lesson of the widow and Elijah, the widow of Zarephath, and the New Testament lesson with Jesus talking about the Pharisees devouring the houses of widows and this widow who is in the treasury. Widows are a quite common theme in the Bible. If we go back to the law, we find in Deuteronomy verses that say things like, Don't deny justice to the fatherless, the foreigner, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. In the prophets, in the prophet Elijah, the prophet Elijah, prophet Isaiah, in the first chapter, we get a verse that says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. Over in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the widow who goes to the unrighteous judge to plead her case. And then probably the most bizarre story that Jesus talks about in the New Testament, he talks about the man who dies and his widow marries his brother, who dies and she marries the brother, who dies and she marries the brother, who dies and marries the brother, dies and marries the brother, until seven men are dead and the widow is a widow again. And the Sadducees who ask the question of Jesus ask the question, because they don't believe in the resurrection, when this woman and all of these men are raised, whose wife is she? Which has never been my question with that story. My question is, what is she doing? (laughs) Why is this widow marrying all of these men in turn? Uh, Either she has a great fondness for that family, or something else is going on. And indeed, something else is going on. All of these verses deal with widows because widows are in a position of vulnerability in the Old and the New Testament. In a society where a woman is, can't really go up and speak to a man who is a stranger, who isn't someone other than her husband, there aren't a lot of career opportunities. And so a woman who is left widowed is vulnerable. She is alone and she is abandoned. In fact, in the New Testament, when we use the word widow, the word that we use is a Greek word that literally means abandoned. It doesn't mean her husband has necessarily even died. But she is alone. So, given that context, we go back over here to Elijah, and Elijah is sent to a widow in Zarephath. Now... We're missing a little context there in the Old Testament lesson. The reason why Elijah is being sent to this widow is so that he won't starve. Because Elijah has brought word to the people of Israel that they have displeased God. And they have displeased God because they have done something against the first commandment. They have served other gods. In fact, all we will learn later on in the book of 1 Kings, all but 7,000 have bowed their knee to the Canaanite god Baal. 
And the Canaanite god Baal is particularly offensive to God because part of the worship of Baal is child sacrifice. And if you want to offend God, I would suggest you worship other gods and harm children. And that will piss him off quicker than anything. Now, how many people know in the Old Testament there's a verse that says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust? How many people have heard that? How many people think that means that in your life, whether you're good or bad, bad things will happen? Okay, that is not what that verse means. That verse means that in your life, good things will happen to the good and the bad. Rain is a good thing. You can tell how many of you are city kids. Rain is a good thing. What has happened in Israel is God has said, I am displeased with what you're doing, so it's going to stop raining for seven years. Elijah told the king the bad news and then hightailed it out so they didn't get killed. And for three and a half years, God keeps him, protects him, serves him, feeds him in the desert until this creek that he's at dries up because it hasn't rained. And at that point, we come to this story where he is sent to the widow of Zarephath. Zarephath, Sidon, uh, not a woman who is an Israelite. She is, in fact, a Phoenician. She is not a believer in God. She tells, uh, she tells the prophet, as surely as your God lives. I don't know if you noticed that. But God sees this widow and sends Elijah to her. Now, she is the poorest woman in town. How do I know that? Because anyone poorer than her is dead. She is about to go cook the last meal that she and her son will eat, and then they will die. They will starve because there is drought and there is famine in the land. And Elijah asks the most ridiculous, preposterous question of this foreign woman. Can you bring me something to eat in a time of famine? He is stranger, he and Israelite. And she says, got one meal left, then we die. He says, okay, go ahead, do what you're going to do, make that meal, but first bring me something. But know that God will replenish your stores. That little that you have won't run out. And it doesn't for three and a half years as Elijah stays with this woman. Every day, they open up the larder, they open up the cupboards, and they don't find the cupboards full. They don't find three weeks worth 12 months worth, three and a half years worth of food, but they do find enough for today. Like the man in the wilderness, they find enough for today. And they eat, and tomorrow there's enough for tomorrow. We are never told why God sends Elijah to this widow. Jesus mentions it in the New Testament. He says there were many widows at the time, but God sends Elijah to this widow. Was she full of faith? Well, she does do what Elijah says, possibly just out of desperation. I don't think she's necessarily the most faithful woman. She's not an Israelite. She's not a worshiper of God. In fact, after three and a half years, her son dies. The short version of the story is Elijah prays and he is brought back to life. And the woman says, now I believe that you are a man of God. Okay, now get that straight. For three and a half years, she has walked into the kitchen and the food that she's had that is just enough for today has not run out. She has seen over a thousand miracles. One every day that has sustained her. But now she believes. But God saw her. We don't know why. 
But this woman who was abandoned, this woman who was alone, this woman who was powerless, was no longer alone, was no longer abandoned. Over here in the New Testament, you guys are sitting in the New Testament this morning, (laughs) we have Jesus first talking about the Pharisees. They like to be seen. And then talking about a widow. I don't think those are two separate thoughts. I think they're part of a whole story. He is in the temple and he is seeing a woman who is a woman of God. She is a faithful woman who is supporting the temple with her last two coins. Now, we have to understand the way they do the offering is a little different than we do it. They don't pass the plate. There are large uh, trumpets, is what they're called. They're metal containers that you throw in your offering. Now, remember, this is in a time before direct deposit or payroll deductions and before paper money. The more valuable the money, when it gets thrown in the trumpets, what happens? Louder noise. There you go. Very good. It makes a louder noise. How much does the widow's two mites make? Not much at all. Did you notice that Jesus calls over the disciples and says, look, see this widow? Because they had not noticed. This widow, unlike the Pharisees and their show, who probably have figured out how you can throw in the coins and make the most noise, This widow is invisible. She doesn't even seen anymore. Because unlike that widow who is marrying the brother after brother after brother, she is on her own, she's alone, she's forgotten. She's powerless. And people have stopped even seeing her. She's a woman who is associated with bad things. Something bad happened to her probably because of what her fate. But Jesus sees her. And Jesus calls her to the attention of the disciples and says, look, look at this woman. He's just talked about all of the show of the Pharisees, and in contrast, he says, no, look at this woman. Because he sees her. This could have gone, and apologies to the, the uh, stewardship team, because this really could have gone off in a stewardship direction uh, at this point, but I'm taking it a little different direction, because as I look at these two stories, we do get these two stories of the two women who are abandoned and alone, who do give the last bit of what they have. But we also have a God here who is seeing those who are unseen, who is remembering those who are abandoned, who is with those who are powerless. And that comes home to me because of the ministry that I do in Juvenile Hall. Because I minister to a population of people who are largely, we would prefer, forgotten. And I want to tell you one story of something that happened in Juvenile Hall, and I swear that this is, this is true as far as I know. I had a young man who came to my Bible study in this lockdown unit for violent youth offenders. And again, you usually come to my Bible study because you have committed a crime. Um, very few people even pretend that they haven't committed a crime. We don't usually talk about that. That is not while I'm there. But this kid was different because he did not seem to want to be there. Now, you have to understand that because I'm in a lockdown unit, kids don't leave. So I'm in the, the classroom where they do their, their schooling. 
and I can look out through a large glass window and see that there are people writing letters, there are people watching TV, there are people who are playing video games, there's a handball court over there. This kid has chosen to come to Bible study. He had other options. But he doesn't look like he wants to be there. And for one month, I believe, he said nothing. Asked no questions, looked very uncomfortable, but kept coming, and I did not know why. And then after about a month, he started asking questions. He started participating in the discussion. And over the course of months, I had him for most of a year, I could see faith blossom and grow in this young man. And after I got to know him, maybe six months after he was there, when I was already looking forward to seeing him every Tuesday night when I would go, he told me his story. He said the reason he came to Bible study is he was in his unit. He was in his cell by himself. His cellmate was gone. And the way he described it is the cell filled with light. Someone touched him on his chest and said, you go to Bible study. The reason why he looked like he didn't want to be there is he didn't want to be there. The reason why he looked like he didn't know why he was there is he didn't know why he was there. But he was told to come and he did. It is my belief that God is still a God who remembers the forgotten, who befriends the powerless, who is with those who are abandoned, and who sees those who are invisible. And it is also my firm belief that where God is, his church is called to be. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.